for today. We are going to finish 1 Peter chapter number 4. And then for the next few weeks, we're going to take a little break. And then we'll be back at the beginning of the year in chapter number 5. I really didn't want to talk about how a pastor needs to act anyways for a little bit. I didn't feel like hearing that message in chapter 5. So I'll wait a little bit to preach that one. Did anyone lose their glasses last week? Somewhere middle back here. There, and uh, I put them on this morning. They are, yeah, I can't. They're, wow, they're strong. So if anybody lost their glasses, did anybody lose glasses? How many of you didn't know you lost your glasses and you're wondering why it looked all fuzzy all week long? And so they're up here. Somebody lost them. Or they didn't want them anymore. Instead of putting them in the trash can, they put them there. But First Peter chapter number 4, we're going to be finishing up chapter number 4 today. And you look at the title of my message this morning, Hard Trials, Hard Lessons About Fiery Trials. It's quite, it's not easy lessons that we're going to look at today as we look at this passage of Scripture. But I want you to understand as we dive into the notes today, trials are a part of the Christian life. Hard times are a part of the Christian life. For some reason, we have this idea in Christianity today that life is just supposed to be simple and easy and God's been so good and we're never going to have hard times. And if we had hard times, God's just mad at us or something like that. And that is not the case. But we look at trials sometimes and we even see here used fiery trials. And I mentioned before how some Christians in these days, Nero the persecution on the church and he would hang Christians in his garden and light them on fire, that would be quite a fiery trial right there, wouldn't it? Trials are a part of life. We look at our text today in 1 Peter chapter number 4. I want you to look with me down at verse number 12 as we finish up the chapter today. 1 Peter 4, verse number 12. It says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil sp spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in another man's matters. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end? What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Father, I pray that you bless the next few minutes that we have. We need you this morning. Guide us and help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you have ever been in a trial before? A struggle? How many of you have ever suffered before, been in a trial? If that's true, would you raise your hand? Actually, we should put it this way. Is there someone in the room that's never suffered or never had a trial? Would you please raise your hand? 
No one. Maybe the person walking in the door? No, I don't think. I think they've suffered and gone through trials too. I think everybody has. No one is immune from it. Even our children would say those math tests or those history tests are the trials of life that God has given to them and their teachers are inflicting the pain on them of each of those tests as they get taken. We all go through trials. The Bible says here, right away in this passage, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try the word trial means to be under the thumb of pressure. Many of you have experienced that. Several of you right now are experiencing the pressure of life. And that pressure is there, the trial that is in your life. And when we think on these things, in the New Testament, the word trial often means to be proved by testing. In other words, a trial demonstrates and helps grow our faith in the Lord and refines the qualities of our spiritual life. God allows and God allows trials into our life. He does. Job is a great example of that. You know, we look at Job's friends. Job's friends, and at least they at least they were there, right? They came. But they did not give very good advice. And I just thought it was very interesting. My personal Bible studying Job a lot recently. So as I was getting this message together, my mind kept going to Job. And with Job just did right. God wouldn't, God wouldn't cause these things to happen in your life. That's basically what his friends were saying. You need to repent and get right, and, this stu- and God will bless you. Because if you do things, God will bless you. If you do bad things, God punishes you. And you say, that doesn't sound quite right, because it's not right. But that's how we view it. Oh, they're struggling because something that God's not happy with, so God's punishing them by letting that happen in their life. Or They must be doing really good because God's really blessing them. You cannot look at trials and blessings in life and judge people based on those things. What was Job's big sin? This was Job's big problem. God said to Satan, have you seen my servant Job? He's a good guy. And he hates evil. He loves me. He's a good guy. That was Job's big sin. Now, was Job a sinner? Of course he was a sinner. We're all sinners, right? But literally, what does Satan say? If you weren't so good to him, he wouldn't be so good to you. And God allows the trials in Job's life. But if we were to look as his friends did and say, Hey, Job, you're suffering because you need to get some things right with God. That's not always the case. There are times that there are some self-inflicted wounds that we go through. And if we wouldn't do certain things, we'll talk about this later on. Sometimes we aid in the trials, and they're self-inflicted trials. But then sometimes they're God's will for us, and we'll talk about that later on. No one enjoys trials. Another word used in the Bible is the word suffering. Temptation. These words are used to talk about what takes place, hardship. Sometimes there's chastening that comes. Today's message literally, I believe, is the core of this entire letter that Peter is pinning to the Christians in the early church. In this passage, I want you to see what the Bible says. And I want you to see it sounds easy. But it's not. Hard lessons 
about fiery trials. Number one, don't be surprised when they come. Don't be surprised by suffering. There are some Christians out there that think that you should never have a struggle ever in Christianity. Sometimes you'll see them, a lot of them make their way to vision. And we think of the prosperity. God wants you healthy well, and happy. God wants you happy. And if you're happy, God's happy. God does like his children to be happy. That's not a false statement. But to take that we, never go, that we don't go through hard times is a false statement. As a Christian, the Bible says, think it, it says right here, says, and look at how it starts. I love how it starts. You see, this is like Peter's getting their attention. He says, beloved. That's where it begins there. The word beloved means prized and valued, dearly and very much loved. Do you know the first um, seven uses of this word in the New Testament refers to the love that God had for his son? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The first seven times in the New Testament was God talking about his son. We see here that this phrase is used, and think about this, if you're suffering this morning, if you're going through a heartache, if you're in the middle of a trial, I want you to know that you are loved by God today. You are his beloved. He loves you today. And some people are like, well, God, God gives me a hard time because he likes to mess. God doesn't like to mess with you. Think about this today. Those of you that have children, and we'll look more at adult children here for a minute. Sometimes in life they struggle. And there are things, there are times you cannot, and you cannot just step in and tell them what to do because they're adults and they need to figure it out even though you want to step in and help them there. But when you see your child fall or get hurt or something happen, you don't sit back and laugh at them. And think, <laughs> people get that view of God. Like, <laughs> he's struggling right now. It's you. You are dearly beloved by God. So when we look at these trials and we look at these struggles of life, I love how Peter starts here, beloved, under inspiration of God, beloved. Think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. And some Christians have that attitude. I, I'm not expecting to suffer. I wasn't expecting a trial. Now, this is the thing. You are never ready for a trial when they come. And you are never ready for what type of trial comes. You know, this isn't telling you, don't be surprised by what type of trial comes. Because you don't know, and you're going to be surprised by that phone call that comes, or that relationship issue, or some, some things catch you off guard. That's, and it's going to. You don't expect things to happen, but you should expect trials in the Christian life. There will be suffering along the way. And a lot of Christians want to live the life of there is no suffering. They don't want to suffer, but it is part of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Peter commands us here to think it not strange when we go through those trials. And as those trials come into our lives and ambush us in unexpected ways, we shouldn't be shocked when it happens. Think about Paul when he got saved and turned to the Lord. The Bible tells us in Acts 9, verse number 16, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Wow, that's real encouraging, isn't it? Paul was going to suffer 
for the name of Christ. You see, the Bible says, think it not strange. We live in a day and age, we so good today. We don't understand the persecution side of it. We understand the trials and the struggles and the suffering of life. But the persecution side, we don't get that. Because we have it so good. But do you know, around the world today, there are people that are dying because they believe in Jesus Christ. Because they're willing to say something about Jesus Christ. Do you know in the Bible days, all that Stephen was, he was a deacon in the church, and he preached the truth of God's word, and they stoned him to death because he preached the truth. He probably does a better job than what I do of it, but literally I'm not doing much different than what Stephen did in that day, preaching the word of God. And yet I'm not worried about you killing me. Some of you might want to from time to time. And I thought about it a while back. I used to like the other pulpit because I could hide in there if anybody did want to throw anything at me. You, there's a few obstacles here, but you can see me now where before you couldn't see me. And I think Carla helped with that so she could throw something if she ever wanted to. Yeah, I thought about that one later on. In the Bible, after Stephen, Paul went around, or Saul went around persecuting the church. People that just went to church that were called Christians— he threw them in prison. We don't understand that today because of the world we live in today and how good we have it here. Yet there are people around the world that are dying for their faith. And let's be honest, church, it's not too far away from coming back to us. If you've lived very long in this life and you've been in America very long, you are seeing things change before our eyes. The things you would have thought never would be possible in America and that you would hear of 40 years ago, you're hearing today. And what you see playing out before our very eyes, you see Romans chapter 1 playing out before our eyes. We're casting God out of everything. You wonder why our schools are such a mess and why our young people are such a mess today? Kick God out. Kick the Bible out. And God doesn't stay where he's not wanted. He doesn't overstay his welcome. If he's not wanted, he doesn't stay. And as a society, we're pushing out, and you see all these unnatural things coming more clear in our society. And what you're going to see is the more they get away from God, the more that we preach the truth of God's word, they're going to be like, they're fanatics. They're spreading lies. And you're going to see the persecution come again. It's going to come. I don't like thinking about that. But the truth is, what makes you and I so special that we don't have persecution like the apostles did or like Jesus did? Or think about all those through the dark age. The list could go on. Think about Fox's Book of Martyrs and all those that were martyred for their faith. What makes us so special that we could just go to church all the time and never worry about persecution? Hard times come. But hey, as those hard times come, when we think about them, think about what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse number 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Do you see that? Happy are they. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said in John 15, verse 20, Remember the word which I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. 
The Bible tells us in um, 2 Timothy 3, verse number 12, Yea, and all that will live God, Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Bible tells us as well in, in Philippians 1.29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. But we live today with a type of Christianity that our faith wavers when we go through a hard time. Our faith wavers when we have a trial come into our life. And Peter wants us to know here, hey, Christian, hey, don't think it's strange when those trials come. They're going to come. Randy Alcorn made this statement, and this is a very true statement. A faith that leaves us unprepared for suffering is a false faith that deserves to be lost. If you base your faith on a lack of affliction, your faith lives on the brink of extinction and will fall apart because of the frightening diagnosis or a shattering phone call. Token faith will not survive suffering, nor should it. Believing God exists is not the same as trusting the God who exists. And this is the thing. People and Christians, or they call themselves Christians, we can trust God and everything's good. But the trials come. The hard times come. And we get mad at God. We have doubt in God. Why would God do that to me? I'm trying to live for him. I'm trying to do what's right. And look at what God's doing. That's a shallow faith. Because our faith in God needs to be strong in the good days and in the bad days. Hey, Christian, let me ask you a question this morning. I read, I read uh, oh, I wish I could remember... I wish I could remember the title of the article. It was a while back. But it is, are you, as a Christian, are you a victim? Or are you a student? So, well, a victim or a student. When it comes to the trials of our lives. You see, a victim looks at God and says, how could you do this to me? Why would you do this to me? Like, we're the only one going through a hard time in life. But it's the victim mentality with it. But then there's the other side where there's the student mentality. And with the student mentality, it's like, what is God trying to teach me? What can I learn? What is God trying to do in my life through this trial? Let me ask you this morning, before we go on to point number two, what type of mentality do you have today when it comes to the trials in your life? Are you a victim? And victims often, when it comes to victims of our trials, there's often a lot of bitterness that goes to God. We blame God for what takes place. We blame God for everything. Why does God allow this? When I think about Asaph, I think it's Psalm 73. And it looks, why is God being good to the heathen? I'm trying to live, I'm trying to do what's right, and God's not being very good to me. But they're getting the raises at work. They're happy. They're doing this. They're doing that. And woe is me the victim mentality. Would to God that we would be students and learn what God is trying to teach us in the midst of the trials that come. For once this morning, don't be surprised that suffering comes. Number two, rejoice in your suffering. Did I tell you, did I say this was going to be easy lessons this morning or did I say they were hard lessons? I said they were hard, right? Rejoice in your suffering. Look what the Bible says in verse number 13. It says, so when we, we're not supposed to 
think of some strange thing happened to us with the fire trials to come, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy, and ye, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you on their parties evil spoken of, but on your parties glorified. Four times in verse 13 and 14, you see rejoice, be glad, and have joy, and happy are ye. In the midst of fiery trials. Do you see that right there? Say, how in the world am I to rejoice in the midst of what the Bible says in these verses here in just a moment. Let's think with me. Let's look at letter A. Do you know that trials can draw us closer to God? Look at what it says there in verse number 13. But rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. Do you know the word partake, partaker, means to, it's translated as fellowship. You know, we as good Baptists tend to think of potlucks as fellowship, Right? That's a fellowship right there. But there's the fellowship of his suffering. Didn't Paul talk about that? But you know, our trials can draw us closer to the Lord. When we share in his suffering, our suffering joins us to the Lord in ways that others can't be drawn. When we think about in the room, I used this example last service. My parents are both alive. And the days seem like it's getting closer to where that's not going to be the case. But at this moment, I could call and talk to them on the phone. How many of you in this room have lost your parents, at least one of them? They have passed a lot of you in this room. When they pass and you go to the funeral home and you go through that process, you'll have people come up to you at times. And you'll have people say, I know how you feel. So let's just say I came up to you, and I don't do this. But let's say I came up to you at your parents' service, and I said, I know how you feel. You would look at me and say, no, you don't. But there could be someone else who comes up to you who's lost their parents to be like, I know how it feels. And there's a bond that's there that you share with them that's different than it would be with someone else. I work with the police department. I work with a lot of officers. And when you go through, when you go through, and there's been a few instances of really tough cases where they've, uh, I don't even want to get into details of things that have gone on. But the way the trial brings the two partners together, they're probably going to be tied together for life because of it where someone on the outside will never know what that was like and when we suffer as we go through the trials of life and we're not talking about self-inflicted we'll talk about this in a little bit but our trials we have he suffered didn't he when he was here he knows what it's like to lose joseph his earthly stepdad however you want to word that he knows what it's like to be tired he knows what it's like to have to provide for a family. As we suffer in this life, our trials can draw us closer to the Lord. Or they can draw you further from Him. Letter B. 
We see that trials deepen our joy as we prepare for his coming. I love that song in our song book, What a Day That Will Be. There will be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more pain, no more parting over there, and forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. And as we go through the suffering and as we go through the trials of life, we realize that someday there will be no more suffering. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain. All those things will be passed away and all things will become new, the scripture tells us. That phrase, they're glad with exceeding joy, is quite descriptive. It means to leap and skip with delight. That's what it means. Some of you, I don't recommend you trying to skip. Don't do it. And if it's wet outside, don't do it as well. But the Bible tells us we need to rejoice in our trials. Because our trials draw us close to Christ. They deepen our joy as we prepare for His coming. And we see, let us see, the trials make us rely on the Holy Spirit. Look at the, look at the end of that verse. It says, verse 14, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he's evil spoken of, but on your part he's glorified. And church, what does that remind me of? Do you remember on Sunday nights we've been talking about Stephen? I think it's interesting how all these things, I didn't, I, some of you, I know some of you think that I really organize things well and I plan things so well to where sermons coincide and do things like that. I don't. I don't do anything like that. It just ends up. But as it talks about re the spirit of glory and the spirit of God here, relying on them, do you remember when Stephen was there before the Sanhedrin, before he was about to die? We just were going through this past few weeks. The Bible said that he had the face of an angel. That trial he was going through, he relied on the spirit of God in the midst of it. And our trials can help us in these areas. We, what do we do? What do you do with your trial? Do you hate it, reject it, and none of us like it? Or do you rejoice that God is doing something in your life? As a kid, I got the, um, and I still, my kids listen, there's a man by the name of Patch the Pirate is his name. And some of you know who I'm talking about. Not everyone knows who I'm talking about. If you're in the Baptist world, you know who Patch the Pirate is. A man by the name of Ron Hamilton in his early 30s went to, he was a good Christian. He was a song leader in church, a good man, loved the Lord. He went to the doctor, and I believe it was for a regular checkup. And the doctor saw something in his eye and sent him to a specialist. He went to the specialist, and the specialist said, you're having surgery tomorrow morning. You got in your eye, and we're gonna, we got to take your eye. Next morning, he had surgery. His eye was taken out. As he was leaving the hospital, there was a little boy with his mom outside the hospital there, and this cute little boy says, Hey, Mom, look! There's a pirate! Because he had a patch over his eye. And we laugh and think that's cute. But imagine having your eye taken out, and that's a pirate. He took that that boy said and he turned it into a ministry for thousands of children and back in the day it was on cassette and then now it's up to mp3 I believe 
but he took child stories and made a whole series of Patch the Pirate for kids to grow in their love for God. And he wrote a song in the midst of his trial. And I think his song fits so perfectly. Joe, if you'll find it for me, rejoice in the Lord. I'm just going to read you the lines of this song, and at the end of the service, we're going to sing this together. He wrote this song after he lost his eye. So look at the words here. God never moves without purpose or plan. When trying his servant and mold man, give thanks to the Lord, though your testing seem long. In darkness he giveth a song. The chorus goes, Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistakes. Now, when life is good, it's easy to say he makes no mistakes. So now imagine your eye being gone. Rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistakes. He knoweth the end each path that I take. For when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. Second verse, and Joe, let's go to the third verse after the second one. I could not see through the shadows ahead. So I looked at the cross of my Savior instead. I bowed to the will of the Master that day. Then peace came, and the tears fled away. Third verse. Now I can see testing comes from above. God strengthens his children, and he purges in love. My Father knows best. And I trust in his care. Through purging, more fruit I will bear. That's what the Bible's talking about here. Being able to rejoice, not understanding it, but knowing my Father knows what's best. And I trust my Father. If you can trust God, your Father, for salvation today, you can trust him to keep you through life. Number one about trials and the hard lessons about fiery trials, don't be surprised when they come. Number two, rejoice in the midst of them. Number three, take a moment and look at why you're suffering. It's a good thing to do. Say, what do you mean? Look at verse 15 to 18. Look at what it says. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in another man's matters. Now, something interesting just to note. Do you notice that a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, and a gossip are all in the same sentence together? Did you notice that right there? That's because sin is sin, correct? Yes, sin is sin. And so, it says there, don't suffer because you self-inflict yourself with doing wrong. Keep reading. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear. So as we look here, we see number one, trials. Don't be surprised by them. Number two, rejoice in the midst of your suffering. And then number three, take a moment to ponder, why are we suffering? Now, it could be one of two things. Letter A, 
is the re is it the result are the suffering I'm going through is it a result of my failures? Is it self-inflicted? Did I do something I shouldn't have done? The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, this is a great verse right here. He that passeth by and meddleth with strife belonging not to him is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. Now what happens if you take a dog by the ears? He's probably going to bite you. And maybe you got a friendly dog that won't do it. But most dogs, they're probably going to bite you. And why is the dog going to bite you? Because you're messing with him. I remember in Bible college. I got two examples of this. So in Chicago, Chicago's so different than out here, especially the houses. I remember the first time we're in Chicago, and we're trying to get kids on, and families on our bus routes. And so there was this house. It was three stories tall. I'm like, this is neat. I can't believe people own these by themselves. And the first thing we did is we walked in the first door. And I'm like, we're walking to someone's house. I didn't realize there was a first level, a second level. And there were three different apartments or whatever in one house. Then even some of them, you could go on the back side of it, and there were even more. Well, in one area, there was one. And um, I opened the gate, and, I, and anytime there are gates, you always, I always shake the gate because you want to make sure if there, sometimes there's a gate because they want to keep people out, but sometimes people have gates to keep things in. And so I just shook it and nothing happened. I go in the gate and go around, and this little dog comes and bites me. I got bit by a dog. There's no warning on the gate, whatever else. And so I live to tell about it. I still limp. No, I wasn't, it wasn't that bad. And by biting, it drew a little blood, but it wasn't bad. Well, there was this other house. This was a year or two later, and my, my partner with me is pretty funny. Well, no, it, yeah, it is funny, but I didn't know, you know, a Bible college student studying to be a pastor. I didn't know they used bad words, but this, this something scared them so bad, the bad word came out. And if you want to know what your vocabulary is like, just get scared or get jump at something, hit your thumb with a, with a hammer and see what words come out and see what happens. But um, so this gate said dog. Beware of dog. So I took mental note. I am not going in there. There's a dog there. He goes up to the gate and he shakes it. I don't think there's a dog. That's probably an old sign. I'm like, it says there's a dog in there. And what do you know? He goes in and he's like, well, in case there's a dog, I'll close the gate. I stay outside. I wasn't going in. I, I don't think I've ever entered, if there's an animal near, I just stay away after getting, I learned my lesson. He goes, and he goes around the corner, and you hear, oh, something. <laughs> and I've never seen this guy run so fast in his life, and there was a pit bull. And it literally got within inches of getting him, and the collar pulled it back, and he jumped over the fence, and he was scared to death. It was his own fault that he almost got bit because he shouldn't, he should have been watching for the dog. Sometimes in life we get in trouble when we know better and we do things that we shouldn't do. And we say, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, that's not quite the same. Oh, I, I, was, I was drinking and then I drove a car and I hit someone, but it's all the Lord's will. That, no, you can't say that when you sin it's God's will, okay? God's will is not for you to sin. Now, God can work in those instances, but 
you shouldn't have been in the car. You shouldn't have been drinking and drunk. There's things you shouldn't have done that led to that. And so it was your own stupidity that got you in trouble. I know some of you are like, stupidity? Yeah, that's... My stupidity gets me in trouble often. How many of you would be honest and say your stupidity's gotten you in trouble? I know some people say, I don't like that word stupid. I know, but some of the movies you watched on TV this week and on movies, they say a lot worse words than stupid, so you'll be okay. And when I refer to the things that I do at times, it is pretty stupid. I shouldn't do it. So is your failure, is the trial, the suf- is the suffering you're going through self-inflicted? Or letter B, is there a result of my faith? There's a big difference in the two. I've heard people often say, I'm just suffering for Jesus. I, well, a few years ago, there was a guy, someone just mentioned his name to me a few days ago. And this guy went, he was a, he was a creationist in jail for not paying taxes. And his saying was, I'm being persecuted for my faith. No, dummy. You should have paid your taxes. You're being persecuted because you didn't pay your taxes. Don't blame Jesus because he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are So taxes. God doesn't want to pay them. I think, the, I think Jesus and persecuted because of his faith. That's not true. It was his failures. But then I would say a man like John MacArthur or that Calvary Chapel in wherever uh, partway up by Thousand Oaks in that area up there where they had church and the, they told them they couldn't and they were getting fined every week. Paul Chapel in Lancaster, they were getting fined every week for being for church. I would say that that's standing for your faith and they were being persecuted or fined for their faith, not because of stupidity. So if you are self-inflicting yourself with the suffering that's going on, Need to get, you need to get that worked on. Quit self-inflicting yourself. Quit bringing your own suffering by the decisions that you make. But if it's a result of my faith, we should rejoice in it. And when we think about that and we look deeper into it, think about what the apostle said, Acts 5, verse number 41. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Do you see that there? They were persecuted. They were suffering because of their faith. There's a big difference in the two. Now, as we look at this, look at what it says. If any man suffer, verse 16, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. That's what they did in Acts chapter number 5. And then, a lot of people love to take the next verse about how the time has come, the judgment must begin at the house of God, and God's going to clean his house right now. And they take that one little line and preach a whole message. Evangelists are good with that one. And they leave out the whole thought behind the whole thing. Look at the whole verse. Look what it says there. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? If the righteous scarcely be saved, 
Where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Go with me real quick. We're almost done. Go with me to Psalm 73. And I hope this is the right psalm. Because if it's not, I've only got 149 others to figure out which one it is. I think it's Psalm 73. And only Caroline laughed at that. You all think I'm being serious. It's somewhere around 72, 73. The pastor last service went too long. So I couldn't look at and look closer at this. Look at what it says in Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, even to them that are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there is no bands in their death but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. And what is Asaph doing here? He's looking at the wicked. And he's saying, why is it so easy for them? I feel like I'm slipping and falling and struggling all the time, and their life looks so easy. It looks like they're doing just fine. Why is it that I didn't get the raise and they got the raise at work? Why is it that my life looks like it's falling apart and their life is not? Go down with me to verse number um, 18. Well, look at verse 17. I like this. This is good right here. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Do you know church is a good thing and going to God's house? This world will cast it down and people will try to. Church is a good thing. The preaching of the Word of God, it's important and needed in our lives. And it's pretty important. I think I heard someone say different than that recently, and I disagreed a little bit. But anyways, and not my preaching, but the preaching in general of God's Word. Look at verse 18. Surely thou hast set them in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as a moment in terror? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one waketh, so, O Lord, that when thou awakest... Thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. And we keep on going there. But if we go back to our text, and we see there, if the righteous suffer, if God's people suffer, what is it going to be like at the great white throne judgment for those who do not know God? That's what it's talking about right here. What's that day going to be like? If we suffer and life isn't easy for us, what's it going to be like to stand before the judge of the universe not saved? It's not going to be a good day. God takes care of things. And because of that, it leads us to point number four, that you can trust God when you suffer. Verse number 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Now, I, now, do you see here that there are times that we suffer? It is the will of God. Do you see that right there? It does say that. But I've also heard Christians sin and say, he had to get me somehow. No, 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 no. Don't try and say it's God's will for you to sin. It was never God's will for man to sin. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, correct? So it's not God's will on all those things. 
But there are times we suffer. It is the will of God. And as we think on that, look at what the Bible says here. It says, let them that suffer according to the will of God. So I would say those that are suffering for their faith, or God's working, whatever the case may be there. It says um, that God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. The word commit is a banking term that means to deposit for safekeeping. A couple years ago, one of, our, one of the young men in our church, he graduated from a Christian school, and he went to Bible college. A few weeks of being there, I asked him, I said, did you get a bank account yet? Oh no, all the money's in my car. He had several thousand dollars just sitting in his car. And I know that car sitting there, and you know, the car's worth something too, but it's not very safe just to leave the money sitting in a car. What if you forget to lock it? He said, well, all the money's in there, I'm not going to forget to lock it. Well, what if you give someone a ride and they see a little money somewhere and then they break in later? Oh, they're all Christians. That doesn't mean nothing. I wouldn't trust any of you in a car full of money. I wouldn't trust myself in a car full of money. But anyways, we'll leave that one out. But I told him, you need to go get a bank account because it is safer there than in your car. And the Bible says here, and look at what Peter says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls. That's a big deal. Why is it easy for us to, tr- and some it's not easy, but why is it easy to trust him for our salvation? We don't trust him to take care of everything else. I think our salvation's a bigger deal than everything else. But look what it says there. It says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Trust him. Do you know Paul said the same thing in first, 2 Timothy 1, verse number 12? Look at what it says here. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. Now, why does Paul say he's not ashamed? Because it's not self-inflicted. He's suffering for the gospel's sake. But look at what he says. For I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So the same thing that Peter says, that we got to commit the keeping of our souls to God and trust him as a faithful creator, Paul says, in prison, going to die for his life, he says, the things I suffer, I'm not ashamed of doing it for the Lord. I know whom I believe. I am persuaded that he's able to keep that. I've given it to him, and he's going to keep me. That's what Paul said. That's what Peter was saying. And man, it sounds so good, but it's not easy to do. Trials come. This morning, if you're going through some suffering in your life, I would encourage you to keep these notes close and use them. If life is good right now and everything's okay, I would keep them close for when the trial does come. What to do... And what lessons do we need to learn about trials? They're going to come. Don't be surprised when they come. Rejoice in them. Rejoice and be partakers with Christ. Rejoice in heaven. Rejoice 
that the Holy Spirit is there and we can rely upon Him. Take a look at why you're suffering. Is it self-inflicted? Is it because of my faith? And then trust God, commit it to God, and let Him have it. Father, I thank